Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. Jeff Kanata. And joining us today, he's a staff writer at SlashFilm.com, Brad Omen. Welcome to the Slash Filmcast, Brad. How are you doing today? Hey, it's good to be here. Uh, thanks for being here, and thanks to everyone for listening this week. Uh, what we're going to do here on the Slash Filmcast today is we're going to talk about what we've been watching. There's a few news items we just want to mention, and then we're going to dive into our review this week of Swiss Army Man. Yes, we decided to review Swiss Army Man instead of Tarzan, which is the major release in, in box office this weekend. Uh, but I think we made the right choice, guys. I think it was a good call, because from everything I've heard, Tarzan was not very good. Brad, you didn't see Tarzan, did you? No, I have not seen it yet. I'm not, I'm not sure that I will. <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty rough, uh, and um, I'm kind of bummed. I, you know, David Yates is a very talented director, so I'm kind of bummed that uh, it wasn't better and didn't do better at the box office. But uh, I I feel like studios keep mistaking pre-awareness for demand. You know, they keep making these movies that because people know who the characters are in them, they think, oh, people want to see another Tarzan story. And sometimes they're right, and in this case, it seems like they were wrong. We were going to do the movie uh, about the the guys who uh, have to survive in the woods and realize they have extraordinary powers that allow them to survive in the woods. Uh, <laughs> but instead, we did Tarzan. What, what is it? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Are you the expert at Boom Goes a Dynamite <laughs> Day? I don't so, know. Something like that. Anyway, uh, let's dive into what we've been watching. This week, I did have a chance to see the BFG, the new uh, film by Steven Spielberg. Uh, and none of you guys have seen this movie, right? It's just me? Right. Nope. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So uh, this is based off of the beloved book by Roald Dahl. And uh, here's what I like about the BFG, the film. Uh, I think uh, the visuals are amazing. The way they were able to get Mark Rylance to play this giant and seamlessly blend CG and reality I thought was great. There's a lot of whimsy. Uh, Some of the visual effects, the way they're conceptualized beyond just the giant elements are pretty great. Uh, And, you know, the acting is overall very strong. Uh, But other than that, this movie... Bored me to tears. Uh, you sound so excited by it. So little happens in this movie. It's basically introducing the setup, and then uh, one event happens, and then the movie is over. <laughs> and that's that's the whole movie. Like that that is the entire film, and it, 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 like that might be enough to sustain a film uh, if you had kept some of Roald Dahl's darker elements in the film. But a lot of those like sharper edges have kind of been sanded off and made into a very family-friendly movie. I went to see this movie uh, with uh, a good friend of mine and her child, and I think her kid, who is, I think, nine years old, enjoyed the movie a lot more than me. So I think if you if you have a family, it's probably something that could be fun to take your kid to, but I, I, I had to fight off falling asleep during this movie. I didn't fall asleep. I staved it off, but it was tough. It just... Uh, there's just not enough there, I think, to sustain a two-hour film. So uh, that's the BFG. Other people may have had a better time than me, but I didn't enjoy it very much, unfortunately. And um, from what I hear, uh, the box office isn't going too well uh, with it. And it's kind of a rare uh, film for Steven Spielberg that doesn't make tons of money. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen with this one, but it's certainly not one of my favorite Spielberg films. probably one of my least favorite Spielberg films. Uh, all right. I also had a chance to see another movie that was much more entertaining than the BFG, 
and it's called Gods of Egypt. What? Have you guys seen or heard of Gods of Egypt? This is I, we've we, definitely heard about. It. We yeah. specifically did not review this so you wouldn't have to see it. <laughs> and then you, you went and saw us. it. Yeah. So, so I, I had to see this movie because my my curiosity was piqued by a couple people I know who who saw the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is what I would describe as incredible bad. You know, it is it, people. We always talk about movies that are so bad they're good. Hey, Independence Resurgence Day is that so bad it's good? Jeff says no. decisively no. You know, no, Gods of Egypt is a movie, in my opinion, that is so bad it's good. I mean, it, <laughs> the the thing with Gods of Egypt that's amazing is that uh, the visual effects, half of them are terrible. Like they just look like CG. You know, green screen actors. You know. Acting really awkwardly in front of this fairly you, obvious background. You're still talking that's, about Independence Day Resurgence? No, or? I'm talking about Gods of Egypt. Oh, now. Yeah, I know, but that's very similar. And uh, and then the other half, there are some really genuinely breathtaking visuals in this movie. And uh, uh, w- one of the biggest ones is Jeffrey Rush, who has this massive ponytail for some reason. Uh, he plays Ra, the sun god. He drags the sun across the sky every day. Uh, yeah, that's his job. Uh, and he drags it across the earth, which, by the way, is flat in this film. Uh, uh-huh. And he has this kind of space chariot that he uses to drag the sun across. And that's just, that's just amazing in terms of conception and execution. Uh, there's some movies I watch, guys, where like uh, Errol Morris films. I watch them, and I think to myself, you know, I could probably do that one day. Like with decades of work refining my uh, interviewing capabilities, uh, <laughs> making connections, gathering funding, doing all this stuff. In a couple decades, I might be able to make something as good as what Errol Morris has made or what Werner Herzog makes, you know, in terms of his documentaries, although I could never be someone like Werner Herzog. But just I'm talking about just in terms of craft, I could probably be somewhere close to that with many, 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 many years of work. Then I see a movie like Mad Max Fury Road, and I think to myself <laughs> – there is no way I will ever be able just to give up now. There's just no way yeah. I could ever come up with that and then go into the desert and film that. Like that is just on a level beyond what I could even in, in my wildest imaginations, <laughs> what I could imagine myself capable of. And while I'm not comparing the quality of these films, Gods of Egypt is similar to Mad Max Fury Road in that way. <laughs> you are the first and only reviewer to compare Mad Max Fury Road. To God. <laughs> it's just in the sense that. In the sense that it takes a, uh, a a singular mind to imagine something as nuts as gods of Egypt and then go out there into the world and then make it. I hear it goes full crazy. So it is super crazy. I mean, I mean yeah. one of the biggest things like right off the top is that there are gods in, in this film, obviously, and then there are humans. And the gods are, uh, I think, like uh, 50% to 100% taller than the humans. Right, so you have people like Nikolai Coster Waldo, who are acting next to human actors, and he needs to be significantly tall. It's like a Hobbit Gandalf situation mm-hmm. at all times, and that just is super difficult. To, like that, that hamstrings your movie right from the beginning in yeah. terms of like you, didn't you need, need to, to do that. You need to like yeah, you didn't yeah. need to do that, but he did it anyway. He made it way <laughs> difficult for himself uh, because he had a vision. Alex Proyas had a vision, and it was an insane vision. Yeah. 
And uh, he set out to make it a reality. Now, of course, there are. I like how he has. um, We have the technology to make extra large characters, and not the technology to cast minorities in the right roles. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's one of the biggest problems of the movie. But uh, I'll be honest with you, Devendra. (laughs) Given how badly this movie was received critically and uh, at the box office. Uh, I think minorities dodged a bullet on this one. You oh, know, it's, I fine, think, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's it's the principle of the thing. What do you think? You you know, you're a person that works in tech, Devinger. What do you think mm-hmm. it will take? Better cameras, or what? What technology do we need <laughs> to develop? I think it's some sort of like brain wiping technology, <laughs> like a neuralizer kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. that would uh... amnesia bullets would really help people. Okay, that being said, guys, Chadwick Boseman is in this movie. Uh, he plays a character called Thoth, or Toth, I don't know how to pronounce it. And the idea is that when they enter his lair, uh, there are, I, I think, literally a thousand of him. Like, he's replicated himself a thousand times. So all these people in his lair are doing work. They're all Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> they're all played by Chadwick Boseman. On, and they're on screen at the Does same the time. Does Really? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, there is a minority character who's replicated a thousand times. So you know, it's not. It's not like there's no minority. Literally, the literally cut and pasted. <laughs> literally, cut, literally cut and pasted. There this one character. Thousands of minorities in this in this movie. <laughs> but but what's They're also, all one person. But it's also amazing. Just like imagine the kind of mind it takes to come up with that thought. That let, let, let me ask you this, Dave. <laughs> is the world better for this movie existing? Like, should should it be there, or should we just like have not done this? Uh, yeah, I I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, it's hard for me to say. I mean, so uh, what's bad about? I've talked about what's good about the movie, which is that it's just so insane. You won't see anything else like it. And for that reason alone, it, it's just entertaining because every five minutes you're you're looking at something new. There's something <laughs> new and interesting on screen sure, that you sure, just. Sure. Not only you've never seen before, you never even knew that such a thing could have existed before on screen. I saw two ladies riding, riding gigantic serpents, like, attack Nikolai Koster Waldau in a maze. You know, I'm just like, what? I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even know. Who, who comes up with this stuff? Um, but what's bad is, firstly, the main actor, uh, I think, Brenton Thwaites, who plays Beck, uh, he is so kind of... Uh, baby-faced and naive and has such lack of charisma, it's it's very difficult for him to hold up the film. Uh, this is the character who would make me long for like a Sam Worthington-esque character who at least has some kind of gravitas to him. Uh, so that's wait, wait, a huge... Sam Worthington has gravitas now? That's right. That's right. I mean, when you watch this movie... We didn't know how good we had we it. We didn't know how good we had it. That's right. Uh, During, and, and so that, that's a big problem. Yeah. I, think, I think Brendan Thwaites... Could be good in some roles, but I just don't think this is a particularly good one for him. And then the story is incredibly generic. You know, it's you know every beat as it's going to happen. Uh, basically, uh, Gerard Butler is playing the same character that he played in Law Abiding Citizen. If that character now had godlike powers, uh, and so I would watch that movie. So yeah, sure. so that's what I'm saying. It's just so. Uh, there, there's a lot of shortcomings from a storytelling perspective and the script perspective. Like the dialogue, not super great. The whole thing just looks ridiculous. But there are moments of wonder to it. There are moments of like, wow, I, I can't believe I'm even seeing this. I'm seeing something that has never been put to film and probably never will be put to film again. Uh, and for that reason alone, I think it's worth 
maybe okay. checking out if that's kind of your thing. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those movies that is so good, so bad I it's just, good. Yeah. This movie, I mean, was so badly received. I think it did pretty poorly at the box office too. It's like I'm, I'm more worried about Alex Proyas. I'm like, I, I want to see more movies from him. I agree. But after things like this, I don't know if we will. Yeah, and he struck out against critics after this movie came out too, uh, yeah. and, and potentially rightfully so. I think because. Hey, uh, do we want all movies to look and feel the same? Alex Proyas thinks no. And, and because of that, <laughs> we reject him. We don't deserve Alex Proyas, Devendra. That's what I'm saying. That being sure, said, sure. I agree very heartily with the uh, issues of minority casting in the film. There, um, there is that. But, like, you know, yeah. um, the movie is so weird. You know, I don't think it's supposed to be a historically accurate depiction of Egypt. But I agree not an excuse not to cast it is uh, called gods of egypt and yeah, you were yeah <laughs> using all of that wonderful mythology which is great and weird and so fucked up uh right. yeah. i'm not excusing it i'm just saying i think the net result is that minorities dodged the bullet like there are a bunch of minority actors who didn't have their careers killed by this thing sure you know? <laughs> i don't know I, I i agree that it was very dismaying to see and he apologized for it i think that he straight up apologized for the uh-huh. casting and so uh, I'm glad that there is awareness of that, but um, the movie is very weird, very, very overall bad, and uh, and I think you guys should check it out. So that's my <laughs> thoughts on Gods of Egypt. Brad, uh, what have you been watching recently? Uh, I, I will talk about this. I did want to clarify, though, just so that everyone's clear, because I'm sure there's some slash film readers who are going to be weirded out. Uh, I am Ethan Anderton. That's right. That's- Revelation. That's my pseudonym, but my this real name. This is your name, secret identity. Yeah. It's my secret identity, yeah. and it's not. It's not really a secret. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, but long story short, I started writing when I was still working in the industry. I had an internship, and I was hoping to get a job, and so I didn't want to have any reviews out there saying this movie is bad. But can I have a job at your studio? <laughs> and so, by the time I was done, I, you know, I just stuck with the online persona. Gotcha. But you are you are your real self here today on the Slash Filmcast. As Brad Omen, and uh, and yeah, I remember the first time I met you, Brad. You were actually writing for first showing, uh, what we were covering Sundance. So uh, glad to have you aboard. Uh, and uh, I've been digging a bunch of the work you've been putting out at Slash Film. So what have you been watching this week? I went to see uh, the Purge election year for the uh, Thursday night preview, and it's pretty much exactly what you would expect. <laughs> it's uh, it's I found it to be it's just as good as the second one. I, I love the way. That the purge anarchy expanded the world that uh, exists where the purge is enacted. The first movie had this great concept, but it kept it isolated to what was Qu- essentially quote unquote quote unquote great. But continue. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's a, a concept for a movie, like not a concept as far as real life is concerned. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need right. the purge. But it was it was this great concept for a movie world, and the first movie just kept it contained to a hostage thriller, and it was kind of disappointing in that level. And the Purge Anarchy really amped things up by spreading it out around the city so we can see what other people are doing on this night where, you know, all crime, including murder, is legal for 12 hours. And so this third movie, uh, you know, continues that train of thought where at at the end of the second one, there's sort of this revolution of people who think that the Purge is basically just a way of weeding out lower class so that the upper class people don't have to pay, you know, for welfare and things like that. And so it continues – with this third movie, so it's an election year, and there's a senator, a female played by Elizabeth Mitchell, uh, who is running for president against uh, another candidate who is also running, who wants to keep the purge while she wants to get rid of it because she's, you know, a, a victim uh, whose family was killed in front of her during one of the purge when she was a teenager. And so there are these parallels between 
you know, real elections and things like that, just in this heightened sense of where one's fighting to keep this night of murder and the other one doesn't want it. And so the, there's the brutal action that you, you expect. You know, uh, some of the, the killing is pretty intense. There's plenty of moments of suspense the whole way through. It's, it's paced very well. Uh, between you know the the some of the exposition and the more serious uh, moments where they're talking about their principles and ethics and things like that, and of course the what you want to see from a night of the purge, which is complete anarchy. Um, having said that, there are some problems that I found with the writing, mostly with uh, there's a character played by uh, McKelt. Uh, Williamson, yeah, who uh, you well, Ma- uh, Michael T. Williamson, I think is how he pronounced. Oh, is it okay? Yeah. Okay, Michael T. Michael T. Williamson, uh, who played Bubba in Forrest Gump. He plays a guy who owns a convenience store in this, and he gets caught up in the night when uh, the Secret Service team tasked with protecting the se- uh, senator played by Elizabeth Mitchell gets sabotaged, and she's basically on the run because they want to kill her so that she won't win the presidency. Um, his character is pretty like it, it, he's basically kind of like a caricature like he's this he's this older black guy and he says a lot of casually racist things which i guess are okay because he's black but they also seem very just two-dimensional and completely you know stereotypical um sometimes it's amusing like the theater that i was in was definitely laughing and it, and it was a diverse crowd too uh but it's just it's just a little too over the top like he's he's the comedic relief but he's also supposed to kind of like be this moral backbone and like an everyman blue collar guy, and it, it just felt like a little too much for me. Gotcha. Uh, but overall, what did you think of the movie? It's it's good. You know, it's it's entertaining. Um, I wasn't blown away by it. It was pretty much like what I what I wanted from a third Purge movie. Um, and so yeah, I, I I definitely would recommend seeing it if you if you like the Purge franchise so far. This seems like a logical conclusion. I, I feel like this is the end of the franchise too. Although it felt like there was a reference towards the end of that they could do spin-offs that still exist with uh you know before they uh the purge comes to an end i guess you could say um but i don't know yeah it's 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 a logical conclusion i kind of like how the franchise evolved uh from where it began any of you guys fans of the purge movies here i'm gonna this say a, i like the concept of the first one i haven't seen the second yet this this is a guilty pleasure of mine guys really uh, <laughs> i mean I know, this I, is your new saw dude. i have so much credibility after i just talked about how awesome gods of egypt was <laughs> yeah i think uh, i don't I think isn't there a limit on guilty pleasures? How many guilty pleasures are you allowed in one episode? Now you're just guilty. Uh, I thought the first Purge movie was pretty bad. Uh, with it is an interesting concept, but and it made a ton of money. And I think the budget was like a couple million dollars or something like that. And it made a ton of money. It did really well. Uh, is a Blumhouse production. Uh, I, I thought the first movie was was very dumb and and very bad. And then the second movie, The Purge Anarchy, I actually thought was a solid B movie. Is that what I would describe it as? Uh and then The Purge Election Year seemed like it continued the trend of The Purge Anarchy in the sense that uh it did not take place in a single house. And so they they kind of are doing more and more to expand the world. And every time they spend a little bit more money on these movies and every time the movies do a little bit better at the box office. Uh and so that being said, I'm I'm guessing James DeMonico wants to do other things in his life other than make purge movies. So I'd be surprised if there was a fourth that with him at the helm. But this movie, Purge Election Year, does seem like it's doing very well. It's not a movie I think I'll go and see uh, at, in theaters, but it's probably one I'll catch uh, on video on demand. Uh, all, all that being said, uh, the concept of the purge is is pretty stupid, right? I mean, the idea that once you purge all of your negative impulses, you are <laughs> well-behaved the rest of the year. Sure. Uh, it goes against all of our 
sociological and psychological studies about killing, right? I mean, that's... I mean, I can accept it sort of like a battle royale scenario, right? Like, the the world has gotten to such shit that this is what we've turned to. And honestly, after this year, uh, I I wouldn't wouldn't be too surprised. I don't know. Well, Just try it with anything, Dave. Right. You want want that cake? Just eat a whole bunch of cake one day. You'll never want cake again. (laughs) Exactly. I don't don't actually think that's how it works, though. I'm pretty sure that's how humans are, Dave. (laughs) Make your kid smoke a whole pack of cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, either become an addict or never want cigarettes again. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure everything <laughs> works exactly like that, but you know, okay, fair enough. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> sometimes aversion therapy might be what's called for. Anyway, the Purge election year, uh, I've heard it's a, it's. I, I think if you like the first two Purge movies, you'll probably like the Purge election year. So, uh, would you say that's true, Brad? It sounds like you. Oh yeah, the yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If um, it's it, this one's like as far as quality and you know the kind of like satisfaction you get from the you know the, the action suspense. It's it's on par with the second one. All right, uh, and Brad, you've been watching something else, right? I did. Yeah, I saw. Um, I missed it when it was in theaters because it was only near me for about a week. Uh, and so one, now that I saw that it was out on uh, digital HD, I rented Midnight Special, which uh, nice. I re- I really really enjoyed. Um, it's it feels like. The Amblin movie that Super Eight should have been, mm. um, but it's 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 a lot more subtle and it 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 leaves a little bit more to like your own thinking as far as the mystery is concerned. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. It never hands you everything on a plate. There's not a lot of exposition. You know, it's it's all about the chase and like why they want this kid who has these strange powers and Michael Shannon is so desperate to uh, to protect him. And you know, Joel Edgerton is along for the ride as their protector and like. You want more information, and they give you little bits here and there along the way, but it largely leaves you uh, up to the audience kind of like to piece everything together and figure it out and even kind of make up your own mind about what, you know, the, the movie is truly about and, or, and like what the, the sci-fi core of the movie uh, tr- truly is about. And so I, I, was, I was fascinated by it, and it's, it's, it's very, very good. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Midnight Special. Devendra is a big fan. I, I love it. It's still going to be my top five this year, even though we've seen so many good movies. Uh, and I'll say, guys, that review still one of the more frustrating reviews we've had. <laughs> fair enough. That, that was uh, a lot of fun. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, me, uh, Jeff Kanata and I did not enjoy that film very much. Um, and kind of for the reasons that you said you liked it, Brad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, it's it's not about anything. <laughs> you have to make up your own mind what it's about. Uh, you know, it's like it's okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> Each is down. I mean, if you miss details in the movie, then uh, yeah, it's it's rough. It's rough, guys. All right, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 going to choose to not respond to that, yeah. Devendra. <laughs> yes. What have you been watching this week? Uh, I have been watching Brain Dead, which is a new show on CBS uh, by Robert and Michelle King. This is the husband and wife duo who did The Good Wife, and that show just ended a couple uh, weeks ago. And this is a new thing that they're starting off. I have to say, I love the show. It is so batshit insane. I'm like, and the thing is, like, I don't think they're advertising it well. Um, most people I talk to have not heard of it. Have you guys heard of this no, thing? This is the one with it. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, right? Yes. So this show is like uh, the West Wing meets Men in Black meets <laughs> The Good Wife. Like, you take all that together and you like cre- create a smoothie. Of like a genre show with political leanings and a lot of walking and talking. That sounds and amazing. It's a lot of fun. It's so much fun. So basically, the idea is that uh, it almost feels like a response to uh, this election year. Um, it, it's sort of like uh, taking the idea of like during the uh, political the government shutdown or where we got to close to the government shutdown a couple years ago. Um, 
these aliens, uh, which are like tiny little ants, space ants, actually going further back, like the, the asteroid over Russia. The, uh, it's taking that and it's being like, uh, what if that asteroid was actually like these, these space ants, right? That, uh, <laughs> like, that kind of got out and started infecting political people and uh, it made them more extreme. So that uh, explains you know, it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Conservatives got a lot more conservative. So many Liberals space ants. A lot more liberal. Um, and it's just like show, it's using that concept to sort of like talk about our political extremism today. But it's also really funny and really gross. Uh, Tony Shalhoub is in this as well. Um, also, he was in Men in Black, so I, I kind of like that connection. But as a show, uh, it stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead as this like young new political staffer working for her senator brother. And she's sort of like the person who's starting to piece all this together. First of all, I love her in all this genre stuff. Like, just please keep doing it because she, she's so great. Uh, but yeah, she's slowly starting to piece it together. Um, everything about these bugs and the way they infect people are just insane. Like, they're, they're space ants, basically, right? So imagine, like, lines of ants. But they have to crawl into your brain to, like, you know, control your mind or something. So <laughs> there are scenes of people who are, like, infected by these uh, space ants who are, like, a little perkier and just a little crazier than normal people. Um, just, like, holding their victims still. You know, like just just holding them just just tight while these little these little ants come into their brains. Um, it's a gross show, but it's also really funny at times too. And it has a lot of like shock humor. Like either people um, get infected by these ants and uh, they get really extreme, or their heads explode. Uh, oh. One of two outcomes, right? And uh, <laughs> they use that to great effect too. This show is full of exploding brains. This show has uh, its episode recaps are sung by Jonathan Colton. Like this show is amazing. What? It's it's just it's so crazy everything going on. There there's a scene where like Tony Shalhoub uh like uh slaps out like a quarter of his brain. It kind of just leaks <laughs> out of his ear. The show is insane, guys. It, it's so I funny. Watch it's, this. It sounds yeah, perfect for me. Just watch it. It's on CBS. The thing is like CBS never knows how to advertise their things. And they've had a lot of shows. Like The Good Wife is a great show. I think people who are into the West Wing and political talkies like that, um, you know, they would love The Good Wife, but not many people have seen it. It only took until like they got on video on demand for people to really check it out. So I don't know, brain dead. So much fun. I hope this is a breakout summer hit like Mr. Robot was last year. Has all the humor of Men in Black, but a lot of like the smarts of The West Wing too, and the great like snappy dialogue from The Good Wife. Just a great combination of things I love. How right, long has it been on? Uh, only a couple of weeks. It's on. It's been like three episodes so far. Yeah. Okay. And you can watch it if you don't have like if you don't subscribe to cable. You can also subscribe to that CBS uh, uh, All Access. I think. Yeah. It's like seven dollars a month. Um, but you can watch it on apps on Roku and Apple TV and stuff too. Uh, the show. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. That's Brain Dead, and it's airing on CBS right now. Mm-hmm. I also saw another thing with Mary Elizabeth Winstead that featured body <laughs> gross out humor this week. Swiss Army Man. Okay, I didn't even. It's not even really a joke. Uh, Good job. Let's move Good job. on. I know there's not even really a because you already you know there's no the whole construct is defeated anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> Ghostbusters. <laughs> Dimension VR. You've talked. You see. The, you saw this as well, right? I saw this. Uh, this is a new exhibit at Madame Tussauds in New York City, which is the Wax Museum. I don't know if you guys have ever been to that place. It is the weirdest thing because it's just like a bunch of tourists uh, taking photos with like you know wax models <laughs> of celebrities. It is like very much a tourist trap. But I went to this thing because uh, there's this new Ghostbusters exhibit, 
which has a lot of wax models and stuff too. I went through all that. It's it's you know what you'd expect. But I went to it for this VR thing, which is designed by a company called um, let me see, The Void. And they've been in the news recently because they've been working on building VR experiences that are, like, completely untethered and cover multiple rooms. And right now, uh, if you've heard about VR from people like me and Jeff, uh, we talk about, like, you're tied to a computer. Like, that's kind of the best VR you can get. Maybe it's room scale. This is, like, um, floor scale VR. And it's pretty... They also, like, add other... Like, air will shoot at you, and they're trying to create... Give yes. other parts of your senses. It is sort of like so, the so, haunted house experience too. Like when you that. say room scale, room scale is like the size of a room you can interact. Yeah, you with, can right? walk around like a box, right? And know. floor scale is the entire floor, right? Like an entire going floor of a building. Going through rooms, so like yeah. yeah, going through like. And the thing is, too, it's tough because they have to map a lot of physical objects into the virtual world. So like the after I put on all this gear, which included like a Ghostbusters like vest, uh, the computer was actually on the back. It's like a three pound box um, and a really heavy VR headsets and uh, a gun, uh, kind of the the proton gun. I don't know if it's the new one they're going to be doing in the movie, but it felt like a uh, like a mini rifle of sorts. Um, but once you put all that on and you put on the VR glasses, I saw I was doing this with two other people. You could see their representations in VR. And then they just had us walk out a door. And, you know, somebody who's done a lot of VR is like, okay, how do I teleport through that door? No, you walk. You you get up and you walk through the door. I held out and I um, felt a virtual door handle and I felt it in real life, too. Mm, So, like, there's this whole construct of, like, yeah, it's like you're going through a haunted house, but you're seeing it virtually. Um, If I I wasn't able to lift up the the, uh, goggles, but I'm sure if I was, uh, you know, you'd see just, like, a stage. Or something like uh, putting all this together. But yeah, this whole experience makes you a Ghostbuster. Um, I fought a couple ghosts uh, with uh, with my team. Uh, it all felt really it, it felt really realistic too because there are microphones in the headset, so you can talk to the people you're going through. Um, and there's also haptics on the vest. So when like a ghost passes through you or like throws a book at you, you feel it like in the uh, the wow. appropriate spot. Awesome. So it's just yeah, just like a cool implementation of VR. The fact that we were able to go from room to room actually feel things like there's a point where we were like on the scaffolding of like a building you know 40 stories up or something looking down on Times square and there's a portal uh into whatever dimension from the new ghostbusters movie and i could look down and see objects but i when i felt lean forward i felt the scaffolding too uh just really cool stuff and how um, long was it it's like 10 minutes long oh and the thing it? is like yeah, it's these things aren't going to be super long. It's twenty dollars on top of the Madame Tussauds admissions fees, which is already expensive. So it's like fifty bucks for the whole package. It's pretty cool. Like uh, at one point, like we had defeated one of the ghosts that are featured in the Ghostbusters trailer, and then my colleagues just kind of like screamed. I was looking at like a corner of the room, and I turn around slowly because it's like you're wearing the vest, and I see the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man just looking at me <laughs> through the window, and that was a pretty awesome. cool experience because you couldn't, I couldn't tell that it was there. Until I turned around. Um, and then he, like, ripped the roof off the building and we had to, like, fight him and cross the streams and whatever. Uh, really cool experience. Some of it's, like, you know, the, if you look at the graphics online, it doesn't look super high tech. But the fact that you can move through multiple rooms and kind of have these experiences while in VR uh, is pretty cool. I think uh, this is the most immersive VR experience I've had yet. So if you're in New York and you have a little spare money, uh, check it out. That's Ghost, the, Ghostbusters Dimension VR at Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, right? Yes. What yeah. a weird combination of words. Sure. To say. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think the actual void is 
their their main facilities in Utah. Yeah. They built this I, thing like a huge like yeah, the, like a VR playhouse in Utah. It's not open yet. Only press have been able to go. But it's my, my understanding cool. is that one will be sixty five bucks for an hour. God. So I think it's going to be more like you know you're going to play laser tag for the day. Yeah, right. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. But the the mapping and the sensors and like knowing where people are in VR, like these are all things I haven't really seen done as well before. Question, Devendra, uh, were you able to simulate fighting off hordes of uh, male internet trolls who think that Ghostbusters is too precious to remake? No, but actually during this demo, there were like local Ghostbusters fan factions, like people who dress up in (laughs) Ghostbusters costumes. Like they were all there just hanging out like to get a chance to do this. And I talked with some of them about the movie and none of them seemed too like annoyed. It's I I think the the real trolls of this are like the people on the Internet who have way too much time and who probably don't love Ghostbusters as much as they think. Mm. Uh, Well, what do you mean by that? Because... I think they're just trolls. So, like that. <laughs> fair, fair, yeah. fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. They they will take whatever cause it is to uh, that offends their fragile masculinity. To, to defeat, defeat the SJWs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, that's Ghostbusters Dimension VR, and you can uh, see it and pay for it at uh, Madame Tussauds uh, Wax Museum in New York. I would say not since Star Wars, uh, you know, A Force Awakens. Do, have I wanted a movie to be good more than this? Yes, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, same here. I, I yeah. just want I want a new Ghostbusters world to play in. Like I am, I'm a diehard fan of the original Ghostbusters. Like I have all this wall art and collectibles and stuff. But I want this to be good so badly. A to prove all of the people wrong who are being just vocal and hateful about it, and B because it would be great to have a whole new world to play in with with new Ghostbusters. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to film news. Just a few things we wanted to mention really quickly. Uh, obviously, a lot of really important people passed away this week. Uh, Ellie Wiesel passed away, Nobel laureate, uh, very famed author, uh, Holocaust survivor. Uh, and uh, Michael Cimino passed away, the director of The Deer Hunter, great film. And also Heaven's Gate, not as great, but still the audacity of it is something Have you whole... seen Heaven's Gate? I have not seen the whole okay. thing. Uh, but uh, it, it is legendary in terms <laughs> yeah. of uh, it's one of those things ha- I'm looking forward to. It's kind of like Ishtar. Uh, it's like one of those movies that has a kind of revered place because of uh, how badly it did. Uh, almost took down a studio, as far as I understand. But uh, if you have, if you haven't seen Deer Hunter, and you are maybe younger, and you always wonder what people talked about when they talk about the movies of the '70s being this, you know, the, uh, so much better than what we have now. Watch Deer Hunter. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't make badass. movies like that anymore. Yeah. They do not make movies like that anymore. Yeah. Uh, it would be based off of the Deer Hunter arcade game these days if they made that movie. Right. Sure. Um, sure. But uh, what else? Uh, we also Robin saw the Hardy. passing of Robin Hardy who yeah. made uh, The Wicker Man, right? The original. Mm-hmm. And Which this is, is one, of, one of the best and weirdest and creepiest horror movies ever. So if you haven't seen the original, as much as I like the Nick Cage uh, version, see the original. It is so unsettling. 2016, shaping up to be a pretty uh, rough year in terms of the passing of uh, really respected and awesome people, unfortunately. Uh, But, uh, yeah, Uh, we can remember them by watching their work. So uh, that is something that we will always have. Other film news this week that we want to mention, a couple of things to talk about from the Disney camp. Firstly, uh, Slash Film had this story about... Uh, no more Pixar sequels after uh, the ones that are currently in progress. Uh, Peter Soretta wrote this up. Pixar president 
Jim Morris told Entertainment Weekly, everything after Toy Story and The Incredibles is an original right now. Uh, of course, like that's uh, a, a five- or six-year timeline. Uh, Cars 3 coming out in 2017. Uh, there's an original film called Coco uh, coming out in 2017 uh, as well. Toy Story 4, 2018. And Incredibles 2, 2019. Uh, and, as well as a couple of untitled films set in 2020. Past 2020... Uh, it looks like they're trying to get in the rhythm of two releases per year. We'll see if that happens. They, they've been trying to do an original every year and a sequel every other year. Uh, but it, it hasn't really happened quite like that in recent years. So hopefully uh, they are going in a new direction and, and making fewer sequels. I, I remember when it was super shocking when they made Toy mm-hmm. Story 2 because it was a sequel. Uh, and now it feels like a lot of their movies are sequels. I know it's not, in fact the case that uh most of them are sequels but it does feel that way sometimes so yeah no more sequels after 2020 feels like well okay <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll also be in the water wars you know and, uh, <laughs> then we'll be watching movies anyway so who cares you know? <laughs> yeah i mean who knows what happens after 2020 right uh, exactly but uh hope, hopefully uh we're gonna see some more bold originality from them that we uh always used to enjoy back in the day um that being said I am really looking forward to Incredibles 2. I'm very curious what that's going to be uh, mm-hmm. because it's going to be Brad Bird again. Presumably, it'll have most of the original cast, and uh, that does seem like a universe where there could be a lot more stories. So e- even though I want to see them do more original stories, uh, very excited about the possibility of no... Um, well, that super- came out before the whole superhero you know, thing exploded, right? So it'd be fun to see him kind of reflect on that, yeah. too. Totally, totally. Uh, I'm most interested to see if they if they do a real time has passed for the sequel, or if they do like Finding Dory, where it's only like a year or two later. Because right. mm-hmm. if they flash forward a lot of time, I'm really interested to see what that would be like, where like they're not well, kids anymore, and like you have like the a bit more of the teenage guys. Angle. It's, it's got to pick up right where the last one left off, which is with the defeat of the Underminer, I think. Right, <laughs> and Baby Jack uh, doing his thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway. It'd be kind of crazy if it was like their grandkids and the, mm-hmm. the kids that we saw have kids now. I right. Mean, it'd be yeah. interesting. Incredibles 2 will land on June 21st of 2019. Uh, and then more original stories beyond. So we'll see. Speaking of sequels, uh, Wreck It Ralph 2 also announced this week that that's going to get a sequel. Anyone here really enjoy Wreck It Ralph 1? Divindra, I think yeah, you were kind great. of fan. Yeah, I liked it, but yeah, it was also disappointing, I think, as a film. I hope they can do more with that concept. They just had so much awesome IP. It felt yeah. like yeah. the amount of IP that they got, the quality of the IP they got, did not, uh, the movie did not quite live up to it for me. But it certainly was not a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it just, yeah, wasn't transcendently awesome. So I'm hoping uh, a sequel uh, is better as well. Uh, and that's all we got in terms of film news that happened this week. Uh, so why don't we dive into our review today of Swiss Army Man. You just have to remember that we're all here for a purpose in the universe picks its time. I need you to help me get home. Okay, buddy? Okay, buddy. From starvation. You're special. You're special. That was from the trailer of Swiss Army Man, uh, uh, the 
first film, I think, by quote unquote the Daniels, which is Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who were uh, music video directors before uh, they tackled a feature length film with Swiss Army Man. Uh, according to IMDb, the plot summary is, and, and I'm just going to say, before I even disclose any details about this film, that this is a really weird film that's really out there, and it is kind of one of those movies that if you if you don't know anything about it, you might enjoy it slightly more just because it's so random and out there. So I'm just gonna say, yeah, if we're... you don't know where it's headed, I think it, it because where it's headed is so unusual. Yeah, not knowing where it's headed, I think is is more magical. Sure. So if you want to, you know, not listen to the even the basic plot points, I would understand. That being said, I will give away the premise. I'm gonna give away the opening scene of the film. And so just know that going in. So the plot summary from IMDb is as follows. A hopeless man, stranded in the wilderness, befriends a dead body, and together they go on a surreal journey to get home. This movie opens uh, with a scene in which Paul Dano is stuck on a desert island. He tries to hang himself, fails, finds a corpse of Daniel Radcliffe uh, on the beach, finds that he's able to control this corpse's farts as with, you do. A, with yeah. a strap around its belly area. And uh-huh. then uses that uh, technique to uh, cause Daniel Radcliffe to fart in such a way that he can actually propel like, the both of them through the ocean uh, <laughs> like a jet ski. And they, they, they propel away from the desert island using Daniel Radcliffe's farts. So uh, another one of those movies. Hopefully yes. to safety. And that's the opening. That's the first five minutes of the movie. And I love how audacious it is. It declares, hey – it's going to be weird. It's going to be something that you haven't seen before. Get used to it now because it's not going to get any less weird from here. And uh, awesome opening for a film. Bold opening for a film. Uh, ballsy opening. Uh, so, Brad, let me ask you. You know, uh, I, I think – did you go to Sundance this year? Do you see this at Sundance? Yeah, I did. Okay. So you were among the first people in the world to see this movie then. Yeah, so when, uh, I saw it later in the week after it had already premiered, and so there was already a little bit of buzz around it online, and it was one of those movies that there was it was one extreme or the other because it was such a it's such an out there strange movie. Uh, a couple of like my colleagues, I don't even remember who they were, wrote about just how ridiculous it was. Someone said that they walked out of it because they thought it was so dumb. Other people were like, if you stick around, like and you know and you know go along with the craziness like you'll you'll be rewarded for it. like this is such an original you know movie and it's wonderful and uh i was happy to finally see it and enjoy it and i couldn't believe how the people that disliked it how oversimpli- oversimplified their assessment of it was because it has such a beautiful core to it like there's this great story about friendship and loneliness and love and it's just it's a wonderful original movie like it's the kind of movie you want to see get made if you're sick of you know sequels and reboots and and adaptations it's it's a truly original there's you know this whimsy to it it's it's fun it's strange and you know it you you, just, you you're with them every step of the way and so like i was totally enthralled with it i love the soundtrack because it's by um, i'm a big fan of the band manchester orchestra and two of the guys from the band andy hull and robert mcdowell do the score for it and it's it's very light and also just as goofy as the movie is in some way. And, and oftentimes performed by Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Like the vocals yeah. are done by them. Uh, the soundtrack was awesome. This is one of the first soundtrack or a soundtrack that after you see the movie, you, you think to yourself, I got to listen to that soundtrack again. This is one of those for me. Um, so, yeah, really enjoyed the soundtrack as well. But it sounds like you were a big fan of this movie, Brad. Absolutely. Yeah, I loved it. It was definitely one of my favorites when I saw it at Sundance. Yeah, uh, I, I was a big fan as well. Jeff Kanata, tell us about your experience. 
Well, before I do, I, I just want to mention really quickly that uh, I've been having people – every week I've been throwing up a, uh, a video of my kind of quick response to, to movies and asking people for their responses uh, using a service called Jog. And you can find that at uh, jogg.co slash Jeff Kanata. And I think we're going to – when people do interesting responses, we might throw them up. Uh, in this in this here podcast, I yeah, we'll, we'll put them after the episode. Uh, you can hear kind of some responses uh, our listeners add to Swiss Army Man. So, so I'm because I'm so curious what people r- respond to this movie because, as you guys have said, it is it is a very unique, very singular experience. There's nothing like it, and um, I, you know how in in when writing screenplays or a lot of times what filmmakers would do, uh, Spielberg is very famous for this. Taking a character and putting them in a very extreme situation that feels impossible for them to get out of and then making it even worse, you know, like that whole out of the frying pan into the fryer idea of let's see how far we can push it, how far away from safety we can get this character that it seems completely impossible and then somehow all managed to get them out of that situation. I feel like the filmmakers did that except it's how far from beautiful can we go and then get back to beautiful? Like how challenging can we make it for ourselves to create something beautiful out of the least beautiful things in the world? How, how can we take farts and dead bodies and 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 uh, nihilism and, hu- and human detritus, suicide. human detritus that's left in the forest. Right. You know, like all the worst elements that we would think of of humanity, basically. The least beautiful things in the world. Let's start there and somehow craft something that by the end of it, people will go, that is absolutely beautiful. And somehow they managed to do it. And that is... I just can only be in awe of of the audacity of of that endeavor on the face of it, but also the fact that they pulled it off. And by the end, I was moved and charmed by by the experience. Did I love the movie? No. Did I like it a lot? (laughs) Yes. Uh, I I do think that it is a a unique experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. I recommend people see it. It You have to go in with an open mind. It is certainly not an easy journey, but I think that's intentional. I think that's by design, that they went, let's make this as hard for people to come around on as possible. Let's challenge ourselves and create the least beautiful thing and turn it into a beautiful thing and, and somehow they manage it. And there's a lot to be said in the spoiler section about this movie, but uh, I think the performances actually are, are, are quite strong and the movie lives and falls on those performances. We have to be able to buy that this stuff can happen and is happening and we're constantly questioning what level, what where we are in this. And this movie definitely crafts its own reality, right? We, it, yeah. it, so much of the movie is patently impossible but somehow we believe it because of the strength of these performances and we're never really um i I don't think i was ever really thrown out of the fantasy world you know I, i i was constantly questioning what was real and what wasn't and how much what percentage was real uh and i think it it gives interesting answers at the end you really have to pay attention in order to kind of get 
the underlying truth of what's going on. And it doesn't create any kind of easy pat resolution, which I appreciate. But I also wasn't completely satisfied by the movie. I, I also didn't feel like it, it actually reminds me a lot of uh, Be Kind Rewind. Hmm. Um, yeah. And the art direction in this movie is absolutely spectacular as well. And we'll talk about that more in spoilers, but um, really strong visual and, and, and uh, set decor and art direction. It's, it's really good. How about you, Devendra? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Like I, I love this movie for being so inventive and original and just so weird. Um, this is the sort of movie where like the crowd you're seeing it with, I think could also determine like how you enjoy it. Um, (laughs) I actually really enjoyed seeing, uh, seeing it like in a typical art house movie crowd. There is a uh, an older woman like sitting right next to me who I think had no idea what she was getting into and just seeing her like being <laughs> embarrassed by it, but eventually like coming around to the movie, like enjoying it by the end. Right. Uh, yeah. That's kind of it. Like that's kind of what this movie is trying to do. It's trying to kind of offend you a little or at least uh, it's the flaunting its weirdness and then it kind of turns into something else. Uh, I, I think ultimately, though, that um, I love – some of the weird elements they put into this movie like the discovery of these weird powers and kind of their relationship between Paul Dano's character and this corpse um but I also feel like this is a lot of cool visually inventive ideas that may have been stronger as a short or at least a shorter film because I don't think it adds up to as much as I wanted um I could definitely understand like the themes it's going for in terms of like loneliness and uh feeling out of step with society and all of that but I don't think it quite connects at the end yeah, Devin Faraci wrote a great review of this at Birth Movies Death, uh, where he called uh, Swiss Army Man the best movie of the year so far. And uh, he writes here, quote, you could watch Swiss Army Man and find a movie about raising a child. You could watch Swiss Army Man and find a movie about the ways broken people help other broken people. You could watch Swiss Army Man and find a movie that is about loneliness and the power of love and hope. You could watch Swiss Army Man and find a movie about a guy hanging out with a farting corpse. It is all these things and so much more. Like the multi-purpose corpse of the title, Swiss Army Man can be all things to you, <laughs> end quote. And uh, I really like that. I think it captures a lot of how mm-hmm. uh, versatile this movie can be, for lack of a better word. I think there's just so many things you could read into it. Uh, I really love the film. I mean, I think it's going to be one of my top five of the year. It, it's a beautiful film. And like Jeff, you pointed out, it's much harder to alienate the audience first and then bring them back than to just kind of slowly ease them into it. And and when I say alienate, I mean, I described the beginning of this movie. That is not an opening you want to have if you want to ease the audience into it. Right. You know, it's not they a, don't teach that in screenwriting school. Correct. Probably. Right. They don't, they don't say, hey, like, do, do something so far out there that people yeah. can't even comprehend what's happening. Uh, you know, it, it, like comprehend the reality of the film, like disorient people. Mm-hmm. confuse people you know like it's not they do that in the opening act and uh and then they expect you to stick with it and that is and they, and it, and they don't really ever stop doing that yeah yeah mm-hmm. i mean right up to the end there yeah. there is a there is a reality that you can in you can extract but you have to extract it it's the the movie is not it does never relent on its its own version of bizarre right right um and uh, that's one of the things the movie does really well is it kind of it, like puts you in this really weird situation and then expects you to hang on. And if you hang on, you are generally rewarded for it. Uh, I think like Devendra, 
ultimately, I like some of the ob- quote unquote observations that the movie makes about life and the human condition are a bit. I would describe them as uh, like a little bit easy, a little bit facile. You know, like mm-hmm. they're not super deep. Yes, they're not. I th- agree with that. They're not things that I think. Oh wow! Like I'm changing the way I look at life now, but. I like the way the movie did it. You know, I, I like the way it pointed out some of these uh, foibles of human existence. Um, I, I think the movie felt to me like it was trying to say something really profound and, and life-changing, and it didn't quite get to that point. Right. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. But, but it, got, yeah. it got, I would say, 70% of the way there. It got very close to the point where I'm like, oh, wow. You know, I didn't. I haven't thought about things like that before, and I appreciate how this movie is making me think about things. Um, and so, uh, let's dive into that. Those things, if we may. Uh, well, I just want to say two quick yeah. other things, Go. real quick. Uh, one is uh, this: Do we think that this is the the record for the most fart sounds in a film ever? <laughs> and secondly, uh, if, and secondly, uh, fart sounds never are not funny. I, I've learned in this movie that even hearing them a thousand times, I still giggled. Almost every time. <laughs> I think it was Louis C.K. who once said, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, at slashfilmcast.gmail.com, but I think it was Louis C.K. who once said, you don't have to be smart to find them funny, but you're dumb if you don't. When <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was at, at Sundance, uh, the Daniels did a Q&A afterwards, and they actually said that they did a six-hour fart recording session using a bunch <laughs> of tools to make the sounds, and they only used one real fart in the movie. <laughs> mm. Wow! So all, all the farts the are fake. One. All the farts are like yeah. All the farts are they're all foliage defined. They're foliage farts, basically. Yeah. I want to know which is the real one. That's, That's the Easter egg. Yeah. Easter egg fart. <laughs> uh, that is upsetting, Brad. I, I wish you hadn't. <laughs> I wish you hadn't told me that. It's like when you're when you find out that hey, the shark is fake for the first time. You know. <laughs> uh, it, it's really destroying my world right now. Anyway, <laughs> <Is it a> shark. <laughs> I said shark jaws. Okay, good one, Jeff. Let's get into spoilers for Swiss Army Man starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be. So much to talk about. I think in terms of the message of the movie, the thing that I found the most uh, joyful about the movie is this idea that ultimately we are all just uh, bags of shit. Uh, <laughs> sure, that is, a, that is a joyful <laughs> idea. It's right into David Chen's world. This, yeah. this idea, I mean, it reminded me of that song, uh, Little Person from Synecdoche, New York, you know, that's uh-huh. basically like, we're all just walking containers of shit and uh and ultimately if we can find another person who is also a walking container of shit to enjoy life with uh that that is a huge like that that's that's a success you know and that we should be grateful and glad that that is (laughs) that imagery also says but you're saying like everyone is a sack of shit so basically any anybody any anybody's a sack of shit and also like why do we will be your match why do we like (laughs) criminalize you know shit so much like why why is it so shameful to pass gas in front of other people you know like it's kind of interesting to reflect on why that is and (laughs) if if what i'm saying sounds like the musings of a a freshman philosophy major yeah that's about how deep the film feels sometimes <laughs> it's the musings of a fourth grader like why can't i <laughs> fart farts are hilarious <laughs> farts well, for everybody 
So, so, so Make say, America fart again. Say more about that, Jeff. I mean, like, you, it sounds like you found the quote-unquote message of the film to be not super interesting. It, it's interesting because it does seem to come from a juvenile place. Like, it, it, and, and a lot of that, I think, is Paul Dano's character is supposed to be a bit, I think, um, repressed and a, a little stunted in his growth. And I think a lot of his – a lot of the stuff that you see this – clearly adult male uh, go through in the movie make more sense if it's a 15-year-old or 14-year-old, you know? It's a guy who's worried about farting. It's a guy who's riding on the bus, worried about talking to girls because talking to girls is scary. You know, it's, it's all this stuff that I remember feeling, but I remember feeling it at a very young age, right? It's, it's, it, they're very juvenile thoughts and concerns. And the movie is so, con- so wrapped up in uh, addressing those fears that it, it, it feels like, oh, yeah, okay, I got, you know, talking to girls is, is hard at a certain age, but you get over it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, I don't think most people retain that into their 20s and 30s. I, I mean, the movie just built this idea that he's just like a, a, he's in a state of arrested development emotionally. And it kind of came from his father, too, and his whole family dynamic. So, like, that, I, I, it exploring that is more than just, like, being scared to talk to the girl. But I do think the movie... Uh, it would have been nice to go beyond that too, because we spend so much time in this kid's head, and it gets a little repetitive after a while. Like I think a lot of those scenarios it builds up just feel like we are covering the same territory over and over again. L- let me say a couple things. Firstly, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room, guys. Okay, which is Jeff. Maybe it's a little easier for you to talk to girls than it is for other guys. Okay, let's just put that out there. Maybe, have maybe you your life experience, mirror, Jeff? Yeah, Come maybe on. your life is different than other people. Okay, let's just get that out of the way. Second thing I want to say, uh, I I did admire how the movie actually recognized the consequences of some of the actions of the Paul yes. Dano character. Yeah. In the sense, in the sense that in a lesser film. Right. What what would have happened is, oh, hey, we're admiring this girl on this phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole like half of the movie is built around yes. that photo of Mary Elizabeth Winstead on the phone. And uh, a, a lesser film might have just left it at that and said, like, oh, hey, we were able to derive some uh, joy and pleasure and hope out of trying to get to this girl in this phone, even though we're stuck in this quote-unquote desert uh, or island or, you know, stranded on this place that no one is at anymore. Um, But the movie actually, you know, acknowledges the problems of this at the end of the film when they show up at her house and she reacts with complete and utter horror and then they find the results of what has been going on. It actually reminded me very much of The Voices. If you've seen that Mm -hmm. film with Ryan Reynolds, I think we might have reviewed it on the podcast, uh, where... There's a kind of a, a fiction world that's in Ryan Reynolds' mind and then the real world. And we, we've seen the fiction world and then we find the real world at the end of this film. And it is really troubling. This idea that this guy built this huge fantasy. He's a stalker. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a stalker. He's clearly mentally disturbed. Uh, and he's built this huge, sweeted, be kind, rewind, fantasy world around this corpse who apparently committed suicide. And that is really disturbing to think about. And the movie followed through with that. It, it actually said, hey, we're going to acknowledge that, that, that if someone actually did this, it would be really troubling. And maybe there's, that's part of the tragedy of the film is that – and when I say tragedy of the film, I don't mean that the film itself is a tragedy. I just mean it is sad that in order to indulge in some of the more imaginative, 
some of the more base, some of the more ridiculous aspects of human nature, you need to be viewed as a pariah or as a freak right. by society. My, my favorite moment, I think, at the end is when you know the music is swelling, Paul Dano is doing his thing, and we push in on each of the characters' faces, and you get to Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and she goes, what the, <laughs> the fuck? fuck? <laughs> yeah. It's like, thank God they, they put that in, and it, we're not supposed to just swallow this whole cloth. We actually have a character who acknowledges that this is some fucked up shit. <laughs> well, let's talk about the ending. The ending is very... I would say divisive. You know, I, I think a lot of people can watch that ending and have completely different reactions. Some people will say, fuck this movie after seeing that ending. And other people will say, wow, I admire this movie even more now. It did seem Bra- a little too precious. Bra- Brad yeah. Oman, what do you think of uh, the ending? Like, what was your reaction? Did you think, oh man, that all fits? Or did you find it jarringly out of place? No, I think it, it definitely fits in with the like the tone of the rest of the movie. Like, you, you even though there's something inherently disturbing about what Paul Dano's character has been doing this whole time and, like, his motivations behind it, uh, you know, being, you know, a a bit off-kilter because he's clearly not, you know, in the right frame of mind. It fits in with the vibe of the movie. And in a way, it's, I mean, it's kind of like this thing where you don't, it doesn't want to pass judgment on the character, which I feel like is is really what, like, you, you should do as an audience because this is a guy who... Clearly isn't stable, and I think that if you if it's if it vilified him and you kind of, you didn't give him that moment, then it would almost be a way of like decreeing people who have these sort of you know disorders and weird views of the world and that kind of thing. And I think giving that moment to Paul Dano to kind of like sail off and be himself, you know, no matter how crazy that is, and like I mean, because in, in really what he did, as weird as it is, was essentially. At, at its base, harmless. I will say, like stalking people, <laughs> not not cool. Obviously, stalking people and cavorting with corpses is a victimless crime. People, <laughs> <laughs> but like in, in the frame of the movie and like and essentially like what what he did, like I think giving him that moment is sort of just like uh you know like kind of just like let people have their own world and you know don't you know judge them for it. I have two problems with the ending. Yeah, yeah. and they're very they're both mm-hmm. very small things that I think betray a, a, a bigger issue yeah. and I, I have no problem with like us getting into a weird fantasy place and him farting his way off into the sea I, I actually thought that that was an oddly appropriate way to end the movie it's how you start the movie it's how you end the movie it's sort of this bookend of insanity that kind of left me fairly satisfied the two moments that I have a problem with are Looking at his dad and his dad giving him this approving right, smile, right. Yeah. which where did that come from? That's there's no That's all he needed in his life to get his approval from his father is to prove the farting corpse was real. Right. Yeah. I, I, I but right. The other problem I have is the oddly expositional line we overhear of. Who's the guy? Oh, he committed suicide. Oh, well, is, is anybody going to come identify him? Nope, nobody will because nobody knows him and everything's okay and it's okay that it, he didn't have a family and it's okay to defile that corpse because nobody loved him. <laughs> like, it, it, uh, Firstly, it I, I don't think a, that's quite a uh, not, dictation. Not quite that's, it's not quite that, but you know, close, somewhat close, yes. I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm <laughs> paraphrasing. Oh, you're paraphrasing, Jeff? I didn't know. Okay, exaggerating for effect. But, but the, what I came away from was it, it kind of gave the filmmakers an out that I don't think they needed to provide for themselves. Right? right. Yeah. If what he I, was yeah. a beloved person that somehow accidentally wound up on shore, the movie would be much more disturbing, you're saying? I, I think so. Right. And what we're, what we're led to believe in that moment, and I think what the movie is trying to say is – 
Paul Dano is this guy who was about to commit suicide, right? Alone, sad, unhappy. And instead, he finds a person who was that. He finds a person who's like five minutes later in that journey and gives that person the life that Paul Dano always wished he could have, right? So he he sees a corpse. He was about to be a corpse. And the life that led him to want to be a corpse, he – that he didn't have, he gives to that corpse. So it's him like providing those joys and that sense of connection and, you know, being able to actually get up and talk to the girl on the bus, all the things that he wished he could do and couldn't do and therefore wanted to die, he gave to a dead person. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. And, and I kind of enjoyed that journey and that, you know, juxtaposition. But to sort of give yourself an out in in a in a really cheap way, I think, of just a line we overhear of like, hey, it's all okay because this guy was unloved and lonely and no one's going to come, you know. I feel like that it just cheapens mm-hmm. – it cheapens it a little bit because it, mm-hmm. it just – it's such a quick, easy throwaway out that you Be- gave yourself. Because if the than- movie is trying to argue that there's inherent value to what Paul Dano was doing regardless of the context of Daniel Radcliffe's character, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so if it, if the context is then like made so easy, it in some way lessens the value of what Paul Dano was doing, right? Uh, yes. I mean, yeah. I don't quite see that just because it's the comment of a random like EMT person who, you know. <laughs> the truth of the matter is they, people see a lot of dead bodies, right? Like a lot of things pop up and nobody is there to claim them or it takes a while to figure out like, you know, to connect these bodies to their loved ones or something. So it's... It, it's a cynical view, but it's not like something that I think ultimately justifies everything. I think <laughs> yeah, I have a yeah. bigger... Devendra right. is still grossed out with everything Paul Dano did, even though the yes. ca- character is very no, lonely. It, it, but, like, that is all fine for me. For me, the ending, though, is like, I guess, revealing that this one part of the character, right, revealing that the farting corpse actually does work like a jet ski to everybody else. Yeah. And having it, everybody actually react to that. To me, that cheapens the movie a little... Because it does feel like, okay, are you gonna? Are we in a magical world? Are right, we? Right, cause, cause, are we in the real world? What's happening? Because until the last sixty seconds of the film, yes, a- everything kind of still quote unquote makes sense. Like everything right. leading up to him arriving at her her house is in Paul Dano's head in some way, right? And then everything after that is real, you know. Uh-huh. And th- that ending is a big like f you to that boundary line. And unless and, we are looking at that through his eyes and then seeing them react through his eyes, but that right. doesn't give you enough for it, that. It doesn't that's give a, you enough for that. Yeah, though. I don't know. I, I agree with Devendra on this, but but you know, Devendra, I think that was clearly the point, and yes, you may not have yeah. liked the point, and I I can totally relate with why you might not have enjoyed that because it really rubbed me the wrong way at first too. You know, like yeah. I'm like, well, I'm, my mind is doing all, my mind has been doing all these like, contortions to try and justify what's going on right, on screen. Right. And finally, by the end of the film, I'm like, okay, it's all in Paul Dano's head, like blah, blah, blah. And now we're in the real world. Phew, safety. And then to just violate that again, I'm just like, <laughs> okay, wait. So the whole thing was, everything in the movie was fake. Like what's going did, on? Yeah. You know, yeah. and, it's, it's just, just making me question things, and I think that's yeah. what they want. Yeah, that's the what they time, want, like, but it's, yeah, we don't have to we, like you, it. We've yeah. gone this far with you, okay? <laughs> I accept the, the farting corpse jet ski. I accept the, like, uh, stuff something into his mouth and it becomes, like, a gun. Like, <laughs> I can accept this world, but now what are you doing? I don't know. Right, yeah. No, I can totally relate with that, Devendra, and on some level, I, I, t- I totally, like, I agree with it, you know? Yeah. Just that uh, it, it, it pierces this boundary between the two worlds that I did not like. Um, 
Uh, but know, I think uh, that's the point is that they're, they're, the mm-hmm. filmmakers are taking that moment and going, we're going to give our main character this. Right. You know, we're going to let hi- let us be in his head for the last minute because I feel like everything after he grabs the corpse and rides him like a sled down the right. hill is <laughs> is insane. Like why would Mary Elizabeth Winstead and her husband – like the, the we, we – <laughs> manipulate the daughter running after him so they have to chase down to get to the like none of those people behave in a way that is remotely (laughs) realistic at the end of the movie uh and and then the fact that like there's you know security people there and they just let him go up to the corpse and kiss it and you know (laughs) no none of that would happen (laughs) so i i kind of feel like oh we're in we're just we're giving our character this moment to to let him feel okay right right all right it's just because the text of the movie does feel like that is actually what's happening reality too like but, it's yeah 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 but brad it doesn't sound like this bothered you at all right uh i mean it's i there, there's those little bits at the end I, I like you said the last 60 seconds i was in my head thinking like okay is this part of <laughs> like his fantasy or is this like the reality because right. it, it's, yeah. it's, it is this weird blend of like you're not entirely sure because uh i don't know who said it but like they don't fully like go for what you would think his fantasy right. would be, but I think that I like that like blending of of the two worlds. You know, like I, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but there, there's something about like giving it that that little medium. That I think that makes it work. It better. feels and, transgressive, yeah, and yeah. and and some people like that, and some people don't like that, and I I understand both reactions. Um, so uh, we guys, we can't get to the end of this review without talking about how amazing Daniel Radcliffe was in this movie. Yes, right? yeah, I mean. They used a dummy for some scenes. I don't think they actually shoved like a huge pole down his throat. I don't know about that. Uh, He's a really method actor. <laughs> uh, I don't think he actually fired bullets out of his mouth. But I don't know about I, that. I, I think the the uh, acting that he did was great. I mean, it just yeah. uh, it made me appreciate how hard it is to play a corpse because uh, you, you need to. <laughs> Sit a limber still. Up. Yeah, you need to like sit up. still and like be limp for. He also had to have the like weird eye thing. Yeah, the weird eye the thing. Movie. It, yeah. It's it's uh, as far away from Harry Potter uh, as you can get, and I think <laughs> I, uh, it's cool that he's stretching himself. Also, we we're talking about the art design, the sweeted stuff with like him recreating a whole world, the bus dinner, everything with sticks and stuff and stuff <laughs> yeah. crap he found all of the ground. That's amazing, man. Pretty cool. And and what's That's also a- what's also amazing is when they find it at the end, things that for you the viewer used to be uh <laughs> like articles of clothing and and items of wonder uh become uh, you know items of horror basically. Right. Like that, yes. that you're you're horrified that someone would have done all this in some woman's backyard, you know? <laughs> right. Um that is disturbing to contemplate and yeah. I yeah, like the I reversal. Think, Go ahead, Brad. Well, yeah, no. What's interesting about that uh, is like when you're watching it, even even Sweden, like I didn't necessarily buy that he actually built all that stuff in the woods. Like it's, it felt like it was just a fantasy brought to life by what was actually around him. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually think that the character actually created it. And so there is that moment when you actually see he really built that stuff. You're like, oh man, this yeah. guy is like really off his rocker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now there's a question of how he built it, given that uh, a lot of the you know scenes we see with the Swiss Army Man show. Paul Dano actually using Manny to chop wood and do stuff that would help him build these things. And how would that actually happen if it was, in fact, a corpse? You know, but whatever. Or the time. Just the time alone it would take you to build that. That corpse is going to be in a real bad state by the time you're done building that bus. Yeah. I mean, corpses decompose very quickly. So you'd have had to do all that in 12 hours pretty much. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, so, I like the fact that he could shave with his teeth. 
Yeah, is that even a thing? Is that possible? He gets uh, he yeah, gets a sure. real close, clean, really comfortable close. shave. Yeah, like a baby baby butt type closeness there <laughs> with, with teeth. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought the pop culture references were a bit weird and random and kind of except for jurassic park like i love that we this is the generation of filmmakers who grew up loving jurassic park and i love seeing like things like that kind of reflected no, back i, I mean i i liked stuff. i liked them i dug them because i know yeah. what cotton eye joe is you know and i know what right. jurassic park is but i i do wonder if they're gonna date the film in in a pretty severe way will we still be singing <laughs> cotton eye joe at weddings in uh you know 30 years i don't know i hope not Go. Yeah, we're not really even doing that now. It's just like oh, a really? thing. Yeah. Okay, well, I think uh, I'm going to the wrong will, weddings then. Yeah, I will never. I, I love it when a, a movie takes a song that is one thing very specifically, and now when I hear the Jurassic Park theme, it has a completely different right, context. Right, yeah. You know, I think that's an interesting way of manipulating, you know, pop culture. The sound cool. of the soundtrack is so great. I mean, it's, it all feels like it's a cappella, even though I know, I know some of it isn't. But you know the. The soundtrack is is great. It's very ethereal, kind of otherworldly sounding. So I really dig that. Um, yeah, didn't at one point they describe their movie as a corpse romance musical? Hmm. Like, because yeah. it, it it has a lot of the principles of a musical in the sense that when things get heightened emotionally, they break out into song. Right. Um, and, yeah, and I, I think that's a good description. So yeah, I think that that is most of what we have to say on this film. Any any closing thoughts, guys? I, I you know. Hopefully you can tell that I really love the movie. I mean, yeah. I it's just so unlike anything I've ever seen. And there are moments of wonder in the movie. There, there is a uh, – when they're going through like all the stuff that – all the experiences they've been through towards the end of the film. Uh, and there's like a close-up of Paul Dano's butt when he, with him <laughs> farting. And that like uh, Daniel Radcliffe is so pissed that – Paul Dano has chosen to hide his farts from him. And there's this rapid edited, rapidly edited montage. And uh, it's magical, man. Like, I've never seen a fart rendered with such, such magic true. before. You know? And that's, one, thing, one thing I will say, I think that, because uh, you guys talked about, um, or, or like Jeff said, I, I think it was Jeff, uh, about how kind of like um, ninth grade level, like philosophy and like, you know, these kinds of things that like the movie proposes about like just how you view life and that kind of thing. But I think that that being that simple, like that kind of makes this the, like the kind of movie that teenagers and kids who grew up with Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter and that kind of thing, if they see this movie, I feel like it's going to be one of those that broadens their horizons and opens them up to like a new like section of like movies or like a new like way of thinking about things they didn't like really think before. And I think that people, especially cinephiles, have movies that they saw when they were teenagers that really got them into something completely different than what they had you know watched up until that point in their lives yeah no i'm not sure i'm not sure we can go through this whole review without talking about the boner are we able to do that or can we do that or no let's talk about the boner i'm disappointed we haven't yet yeah (laughs) i mean i think it's another example of it, it feeling a little juvenile for me is we're talking about boners we're talking about masturbating as these tabooed things that I think at, at 14 you're really freaked out about and you, and you fear. But, you know, you, certain, you just sort of accept it. Look, later. Jeff, let's talk about the <laughs> elephant in the room right now, <laughs> which is that not everyone has gotten used to boners yet, okay? <laughs> They're still terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I agree. I would say it's less terrifying and more uh, – I don't know about you, Jeff, but boners still don't come up in polite conversation, you know. And and the idea that this movie is trying to oh. 
I guess you don't know how to talk to girls, Dave. <laughs> the, the idea is that this movie is trying to say, hey, like uh, the human body is weird and wonderful in all these random ways, and uh, it should be celebrated and not uh, uh, and not hidden away or not uh, a source of shame. And I think there's something uh, admirable to that. And and like you said, Brad, I think there's something to the idea that hey. Uh, this movie, someone might watch this movie and that might inspire them to create something weirder than they otherwise would have, and I think that's a good thing. Um, there, like, like I was describing earlier with a montage with the farts and stuff, um, there's so many elements of this movie where it was just pure magic to me. So many pure moments of, of joy. Like, uh, there's a scene where Daniel Radcliffe is looking out the quote-unquote window of a bus and... Paul Dano is is rolling a magazine past him and yeah. like you know he's like this is a life I've been missing and that's just like a very moving powerful moment because uh Daniel Radcliffe is having a moment and then there's the kind of meta textual element of Paul Dano has put all this work into creating recreating this universe so that Daniel Radcliffe can like learn this uh is very powerful to me you know, but the, and, the idea that you can find yourself in a place in a movie where you can be rooting for the man who's wearing a mop hat on his head <laughs> to dress up like a woman, you're rooting for him to finally kiss that corpse. <laughs> you know, like just kiss him. You know, like what 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 world am I in right now where I'm rooting for that to happen? Yeah, you know? yeah. It, there's there's some so many amazing moments to this film that it's just uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So I think I really like it. from that idea, I think there's definitely parallels too to uh, how people are living their like reclusive people, especially are living their lives through the internet and recreating what they want in their own world in like the internet like, when it comes to things like you know second life or you know the sims or whatever whatever it is like how how people adapt what they wish they could do in their real life to this fantasy world they've created online and so like i think that it, this is like the maybe the most like tangible way of doing that in in a, in a also in a super weird whimsical way Right. Uh, and i think what you're saying Brad is that using second life is just as disturbing as Dancing around with a, a corpse against. Yeah, that speaking of outdated corpse. references, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and on that note, you know, uh, I've already mentioned this, but this idea of uh, that this movie is kind of like a, a parable about uh, raising a child in some way. I mean, mm-hmm. Jeff, come on, weren't you taking some lessons from this film? Definitely, definitely. <laughs> that uh, uh, you know, a child can be uh, anything you want it to be. Just sh- you know, use shut its stuff down its throat. And it- <laughs> actually, thought the, I thought the uh, the realization or the the visualization of all those powers were really well done because yeah, yeah. they were goofy, but they weren't goofy in a bad way. You know, they could have very well looked wrong or it, it could have it, you could have been broke the movie could have been broken just on on that level and i thought all of that stuff and there's so many different ones and how how clever they were coming up with them but then how visually they were actualized is is pretty impressive yeah I'm when forward to like i'm making a featurette for this movie yeah or something. there, it, there like, is I some online and it's slash film.com i believe okay. already so uh but uh yeah the uh the one thing that looked a little weird to me was at the end when he's fighting the bear and, and he comes to life and he does the fart thing and everything, the fire thing. 
there's some effects there that looked a little bit dodgy, but other than that, I agree with you, Jeff. I would say the airbag seat in Neighbors looked much more fake than most of the things <laughs> yes. in this yes. film. So yeah, I like yeah. that the, in the montage, the way they shot it, sometimes it felt like uh, like an action figure commercial from the 80s or 90s, like with the quick zooms in, zoom in on like the karate chop action. And yeah. That yeah, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Anyway, I love the movie. It sounds like you guys were all fans as well, uh, to varying degrees. So uh, that's yeah, our review of Swiss Army Man. Uh, and that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the podcast. You can always write in to us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, or find more episodes at slashfilmcast.com. And, uh, Jeff, I think uh, we're going to put some uh, people's responses to Swiss Army Man after, yeah, some, after the uh, show credits here. Listener uh, views on that movie. Listener yeah. views. And if you want to potentially get included, uh, just respond to Jeff's jogs, which he always tweets and Facebooks about. Uh, in the meantime, Brad Omen, where can people find more of your work on the Internet this week? Uh, I write pretty much every day of the week over at SlashFilm.com, uh, so check my work out there. You can also find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. Uh, and just for fun, uh, I have a podcast that I do with a friend of mine called Go Flix Yourself, F-L-I-X, and it's essentially like a, tr- a tribute version of Douglas Movies where we play the movie games that we don't get to play because we're not famous comedians with our own podcast that we can bring on celebrities and comedians. So we do that with uh, our friends who we have who are like local comedians or just film buffs. And then we also talk about movies and that kind of thing. And so that happens about like once every couple weeks or so. Cool. Uh, Jeff Kanata? Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata with two N's and one T. I have several other shows. Uh, one is a video game show called DLC. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I have a technology show on CNET called Tomorrow Daily. You can find that at tomorrowdaily.com. And I have a comedy show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. And Devendra. Oh, I'm at Devendra on Twitter. I write about tech at engadget.com. I'll also be doing something about Alex Gibney's new movie, uh, Zero Days, this week. So keep an eye out for that. Cool. Find all my stuff at davechen.me. Find my film that I made, The Primary Instinct, on Hulu or at theprimaryinstinct.com. Next week, we'll be reviewing Nicholas Winding Refn's new film, The Neon Demon. Uh, and I'm very excited about the guest we'll have on for that week. So uh, stay tuned to uh, hear who that is at some point next week. Uh, it's and... the jacket from Drive. <laughs> <That's> oh. <right>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, no, it's actually someone who's much smarter than the jacket from Drive. But um, yeah, it's so that's smart jacket, though. It yeah. was pretty good. Uh, that's what we'll be reviewing next week. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We'll see you later. I saw Swiss Army Man a couple days ago. Uh, I think it's a movie that is uh, made almost entirely by its actors. Uh, very well could have been a stupid Adam Sandler, Kevin James movie, uh, but Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe make it a fun, emotional, and just hilariously awkward movie uh, that is up there among my favorites of this year. Hey Jeff, I just got out of the screening of Swiss Army Man, and we had a Q&A afterwards with the directors, and someone brought up that Shane Carruth is in the end in a quick cameo as the uh, coroner, and 
They said that he just showed up on set to uh, kind of observe someone else working and they happened to kind of uh, badger him into being in the film and they didn't have anyone for the corner part, so they just threw him in there at the end. So that's a nice little bit of trivia for the movie. All right, Swiss Army Man. Saw it last night. You were right. Weird, bizarre, at times stupid and juvenile, but easily the most unique movie I've ever seen. Acts 1 and 2, I was getting into it, but by Act 3, man, it completely off the rails. Mary Elizabeth Wynn says, wasted in this movie. But, and this isn't even planned, like, JP is my movie. So all those references and the line, if you don't know Jurassic Park, you don't know shit, it's the best thing ever. 6 out of 10. Hey, so I saw Swiss Army Man a couple days ago, and I really, really liked it. Uh, one thing that surprised me outside of how much I ended up liking the characters, which I thought was surprising, but the score of the film... Uh, when watching the trailer, I had thought that it was um, music that had been pre-existing because it was really good, kind of sounded like popular music from being like an alt radio station today, and then finding out that that's Daniel Radcliffe and Paul Dano singing uh, to an original score written for the film was very surprising to me, so I'm curious what you guys thought about that. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 